Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. I believe we ended uh, on verse 12 of chapter 8 without having done the Rashi, so let's remind ourselves what's happening in the verse, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll see. We might even get through a plague and a half today because... Um, Rashi is quiet, but that doesn't mean that you have to be. Rashi certainly is pretty quiet. Okay, verse 12 of chapter 8. Vayomer Adonai al-Moshe, Emor el-Aharon, Netei ad-Matecha, Dahach et Afar Haaretz, Vayalachinim b'chol Eretz Mitzrayim. So, after Pharaoh's heart was hardened after the end of the frogs, God said to Moses, say to Aaron, extend your staff, smite the dust of the earth or as we discussed it may not mean like you know like dust but more like the ground of the earth and there will be or it will become right we discussed what the subject of the word haya is maybe the afar the avar will become lice we discussed that the verb to be with a preposition lamed like um can be can <laughs> can become the word become uh, throughout the entire land of Egypt. Okay? That's where uh, we ended. We read that verse, um, and we did not do the Rashi's on it yet. Uh, does anybody have any lingering questions or comments on the verse before we look at the Rashi? Joanna. Not on this verse, but I wanted to go back for a second because the timing of our class was very fortuitous in that a few days after our last class, I found myself in Shul reciting Hallel. And I had like an epiphany in the midst of Hallel that we spent a lot of time discussing what Revach is, but we did not discuss its opposite or what it's not. And in Hallel, we say Min HaMetzar from the narrow place. Mm-hmm. And what's the opposite of being in the narrow place? Anani Vamerchavia, to be in the expanse and to be in the expanse with God's grace, with God's help. And we see that usage also again in Megillah Duster, when Mordechai, though we don't have the Tsar there, the, the Jewish people are in Tsaris, they're in Tsar, they're in a narrow place. And Mordechai says to Esther, if you're quiet in this moment, Rebbe is going to come from another place. So I was thinking how we were discussing at the end of the plague, we see the absence of God, but maybe a this is a hint that God is in the Revach and that this Revach too was part of the plan. Yeah, and I can't tell if you're saying this implicitly or explicitly, Minha Meitzar Karatiya, the narrow place Meitzar, that's Mitzrayim, right? Exactly. Right, so that what Joanna's picking up is very beautiful. That if you look back on uh, verse uh, 11, when it said that Pharaoh was experiencing harvacha, and we talked about this sense of relief or expansion, and in Halel, the root harvacha is contrasted with the root meitzar, which is the word that we get Egypt from, right? So um, I never picked up on that, and that's lovely. Um, and it's, you know, sure, Pharaoh's, Pharaoh was experiencing harvacha, but everyone else under his control was experiencing Mitzrayim under, underneath him. Yeah, nice. Thank you for that, Joanna. Um, Verse, anything else in the verse where we look at the Rashi? Anyone? Okay, uh, let's look at the Rashi. Uh, Alan, do you want to read the Rashi? I feel like you haven't read in a while. Sure. You know, microphone. And as Alan reads this Rashi, remember, well, no, I won't say that. Just read the Rashi. Amar el Aharon, lo haya ha'afar. I'm not sure where you're reading, Alan. Wait. Oh, okay. Probably had a wrong spot. Okay. Amar el Aharon. Lo haya afar kedai lil kot al yede Moshe. Lefi. Lefi shahagen alav be shaharag et 
Okay. So, okay. So let's break it down. So on the phrase that that Amor um, Alaharon, clearly what Rashi is picking up on is that Moshe is being told by God to do something and not to do something. What's he being told to do? What's he being told not to do? Uh, he's told that it's not. Uh... It's not going to, he's not going to be the one to start the plague. Right. He's being told, don't have you extend your rod and smite uh, the dust, but rather have Aharon do it. And, and Rashi wants to understand why that is. So, Lohaya hafar kadai lil kot, ayudei Moshe. What does that mean? Lohaya, um, uh, the, the dust or the ground or soil... It wasn't It wasn't worthwhile. It did not. It shouldn't be done. It shouldn't be done by Moses. Right. Kadai here, it's different than the way we would use the word kadai in modern Hebrew. Here it means worthy or appropriate or, or deserving, right? Okay. The, the dust did not deserve, I mean, it, it didn't deserve the, the, um, the pain, as it were, right? To anthropomorphize the dust. To be smitten, lil kot. Lil kot looks like a active word, but it really means to be passive. Lil kot ayade Moshe by Moshe's hands. Why? Keep going, Lefi. Lefi shaharagalav because it shahagen alav because like it protected him. Because the earth protected him when. Uh, when he killed the Egyptian man ah. and hit him in the sand. Ah, okay. Oh, so we got to this. I don't remember if Rashi brought this or we brought it from somewhere else. That when the first plague comes and what what's what's being smitten in the first plague? The, the, the Nile. Nile. The Nile turns into blood, but what the, what's being smitten is the Nile. And either Rashi or someone else brings there. The reason why Aaron does that is that the Nile saved Moshe too. When did the Nile save Moshe? Where's the baby, right? Yeah, so um, it, it's actually a very lovely lyrical read that in as as society is being demolished, there's still a concern for the feelings of of natural, um, you know, natural inanimate objects that were part of the story of making sure that Moshe would survive. And even though we unfortunately have to do this to the sand and we have to do this to the water in order to get the Egyptians, Moshe, like. You, 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 you can't smite the hand that feeds you, right? right? You were saved by the water. You were saved by the sand. Let Aaron do that, right? Um, and so just finish it off. Velaka. Velaka. Therefore, it was stricken by Aaron. Right. So Aaron did it and not Moshe, right? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of a, 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 a sweet, you know, fantastical, but a, a sweet idea that we're doing something to protect the feelings. It's either, I'm not, it's unclear if it's protecting the feelings of the sand and the water or protecting Moshe's feelings from having to, you know, bring his hand down with God's wrath on the matrices, matrices, the matrices that protected him uh, in two different stages of his life. I see Joanna's hand, then I see Norm's hand. While Joanna's speaking, Norm, get a microphone close to you. The end of your comment was essentially what I was I was going to say. Is it about you know the the water and the the dust feelings or Moshe's feelings about what had helped him and protected him? Yeah, I mean Midrash is not afraid to ascribe feelings to things, right? So it could be that the phrasing um, the phrasing is very interesting. That it's the subject mm-hmm. is the dust. The dust was not worthy. Didn't deserve to be smitten by Moshe. Is the focus there on what, on what the dust is going to experience, or is it just a way of saying, Moshe, you don't deserve to be the one who smites the dust? It's, it, the way Rashi phrased unclear, I forgot the exact language in the Midrashim in which he pulls it from. Yeah. Uh, Norm? I would say that even if Rashi uses language that suggests it's the dust or the river, for that matter, being spared, it isn't because they still get smited. So it's got a Moshe's feelings that Moshe did not benefit from something and then harm it. Yeah, right. The dust is still being smitten. Is it, is it worse for the dust, as it were, if we stay in this magical place to be smitten by the one that it had saved than it is to be just be smitten in general? Obviously, there's no answer to that question, and, and we're in some magical thinking. But I'm, oh, I'm, whenever I come across this idea, I'm moved by it. I'm moved by it that 
as as God seems to be willing to tear asunder the natural world um, and do what has to be done to free the Israelites, it's not a complete surrender of of ethics and morals and 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 feelings. And maybe that just makes us feel better about all this yucky stuff that's happening to the Egyptians. But there's even an overlay of tenderness in this story of destruction. It's kind of like covering the howl to spare its feelings. Very nice. When yeah. we're making kiddush on Shabbos or Yantif. But on Chol HaMod, we pour the wine, don't bless it. We bless the bread, say lay shave. And after we've eaten bread, we can drink all the wine we want. Yeah, very nice, Norm. Uh, I see... Um, <laughs> and I see Barry. I'm looking like, what's her name? <laughs> My God, <laughs> terrifying. That woman over there. Well, for anyone who didn't hear, I have those moments with my children, too. Um, <clears throat> what was their name? Uh, I'm just looking at Ibn Ezra, who also notes that um, uh, Moses, that this was like a plague of the, of the ground, of the earth, of a lower realm. And that Moses, he says that Moses brought on the plagues that were in the, that were in the wind and the 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 ones that were higher and this was the dust and so this one went to Aaron who was of lower let's let's look at that together I'm going to put up on the screen I don't know if people can see the screen from here um I'm just pulling up Ibn Ezra it's interesting because later on probably probably not get there today Rashi will also give his own theory on the the and we discussed this last week. Is, is there a meta order to these plagues? Is, is, is there a way to kind of track the progression from one to 10? Rashi gets to it later. Ibn Ezra says something here. That the first three plagues were handled or initiated by Aaron. These, these signs, Ot is a sign, were amongst the, the Shvalim, the lower things. Kemosha Pirashti Lamala. So I guess Ibn Ezra said it earlier. Two are on water, right? The blood comes from the water, the water. Largely sheep the third from the low um, dust. And the other seven that were initiated by Moses, the ones that he initiated with his staff were in upper realms. It's a way of praising Moses of being on a higher plane. So Aaron, you can handle the, the, the low, dirty, like Nikayon plagues, and Moshe will handle the upper realms uh, as, as God's you know, upper fury is brought down. Uh, like the hail, the arbet, the locusts. It's the wind that brings them, and wind is considered a high, uh, a high power. Right? What is what is darkness? Uh, darkening of the light. Oils that were done uh, on his hand. Um, but you can hear me either way, right? We can hear you, but I'm. So was on Zoom. Were you hearing me in and out, or are you hearing me okay? It's breaking up. Breaking yeah, it's in. It's in and out. When I was in rabbinical school, I had no idea how much of my work would be based on technology <laughs> and batteries and cords and wires. And it's just unbelievable. It's like, okay, um, great. So thanks for sh- uh, pointing that out to us. It's a di- Ra- Ibn Ezra then gives a different explanation than Moshe does as to why, uh, as to, than Rosh does, as to why Moshe begins the plagues, not Aaron. Uh, Barry, get Barry a, a, a working mic. Yeah, I'll get, mine, mine's closest. So going back again to... Uh, why Aaron's doing this, not Moshe? Uh, the the narrative structure. This is this is God's narrative structure. Uh, it, 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 it um, it's God's narrative structure that Moshe was going to be saved in the Teva on the on the river, and it's God's uh, narrative structure that. Um, uh, the, the 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 person that he killed uh, would be uh, hidden in in the sand, and and so uh, God basically is giving permission uh, to have the, the the water struck and have the dust struck, but not by Moshe. Great, and and without this, one of the things that that this comment by Rashi does, whether or not we kind of lean into it and believe it, is it links the earlier narratives to this one, right? We're very far away from. Moshe in a basket in the Nile, 
And then Rashi reminds us, no, we're not, right? And that all of what took place then set up this redemption as if, as Barry said, the, the redemption had been put into motion, motion the moment that Moshe gets into the basket because even some of the imagery from that scene gets brought back here. Great. Okay, anything else in this verse before we look at the next one? Um, Rebecca, send me that picture. I would love to have that picture. Um, okay. Uh, let's read verse uh, 13. Uh, Alan, you just got a half, so why don't you read this one? I knew. We are suchen vayet ahodon et yado be matehu beyach eta afaha aretz vatehi ha ki nam ba adam uvema kol afaha aretaya kinim bechol eretz mitzrayim. Okay. Okay. Um, so it's so uh, Aaron stretched out his hand. And, well, first by uh, and they did this. And uh, Alan, bring the microphone even closer. Okay. To okay. Vayasuchen, and they did, and so it was. Right, and so it's interesting that it's a plural, right? Because God had been speaking to Moses and telling Moses to let Aaron something, and then we're told, and and they, Moses and Aaron, both accepted the the command. Go ahead. And Aaron stretched out his hand uh, with his with his uh, staff or his rod, and and the struck, he hit the the dust. And uh, pause right there. It just it just strikes me, haha, pun intended. Yes. That the verb vayachetafar is the same verb that describes Moshe smiting the Egyptians uh, back in that scene. So there's even an um, Rashi's reminding us that the earth protected. Now the earth is being smitten. But even the smiting is 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 a, is a redundancy or a, um, an echo to that scene because it was vayach vayach uh, exact language. Um, that chapter three, done no, before that. Vayach et hamitzri, vayit menenu bachol. So it's the actual same word. He smites the Egyptian and he hides him in sand. And now Aaron is smiting, same word, the dust instead of Moshe. Okay, keep going. Vatehi um, hakinam. And there was, uh, and there was uh, lice. Uh, a, a lice, uh, there was lice uh, infestation okay. here, um, and that was on uh, the man, uh, on, on, on the people and on the beasts, and all, and all of the dust of the land became lice, and it was throughout the land of Egypt. Good. And the most interesting kind of word in the verse is this word hakinam, right? And it's interesting for what it doesn't say. It doesn't say vayihiyukinim, and there were lice. Um, it's this word hakinam, which seems to be built from the word that from which we get kinim, but it's in a form that if you know how nouns operate and verbs operate, um, it doesn't really match. We made reference to this earlier, and, not when, and we actually even looked a little bit of the Rashi on this, but it's a feminine, whatever it is, is a feminine word, because vatihi suggests a feminine, and it clearly has to do with lice, but we're not sure exactly how to parse it. Uh, different translators read it differently, of course. I'll put up a few of them on here, so we'll look at that. Uh, this is for, at least for 12 or 13? 13. 13. 13. Okay, so let me share the screen. And we'll look at some translations, and then we'll hear if anyone else has any interesting ones in front of them. So, uh, okay. Uh, this is the translation on the screen of Everett Fox. They did thus, Aaron Aharon stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the earth, and gnats were on man and beast. He's translated in English that, that describes the scene well. He doesn't really, I think, deal with the oddity of the word hakinam. First of all, he's going gnats rather than... Um, lice, whatever, but he's just saying the, the the impact of these words is that they were let, they were the bugs were everywhere. That's um, uh, Everett Fox. Let's check JPS. Oops, come on, come on, Wi-Fi. How or or where? 
if you go on to any verse and then to the right, there's commentary, da, da, da. if you click translations, you'll see different translations and you can choose the translation that you want. Um, I don't know why this put me into the eighth chapter. What verse are we on, 13? Okay, JPS, uh, oh no, Corin. And they did so for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of earth and it became lice in man and in beast. So again, turning the verb to be into a becoming as opposed to a just being. Um, I would like to see JPS. Saperstein says lice infestation was on man and beast. Lice infestation. So Saperstein is impacted by Rashi. We'll look at Rashi in a second. Um, suggesting that the word hakinam is not referencing the animals themselves, but the phenomenon. Uh, JPS. And they did so. Aaron held out his arm with a rod and struck the dust of the earth, and vermin came upon man and beast. I want to look at um, Kahana. Um, and they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with a staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there was vermin upon man. So all similar. Uh, Larry, do you have any interesting ones? Give him a microphone. Alter has, and there were lice in man and in beast. Okay, pretty standard. And Arya Kaplan? Arya Kaplan changes it. He has, the lice appeared, hmm. attacking man and beast. Hmm. Okay. I, I find, can I just comment? Of course. It's, it's interesting that most of the commentators who use, including Alter, um, in... And I think one of the other ones you read also said in man, yes. which is, if, to, to at least my sensibility, is kind of a weird thing to say. Because if there's my, lice in me, I'm thinking internal to me, not just on me. Right. So I don't understand why they felt the need to translate, directly translate be, which is usually in, but as a, as a, as a um, preposition can be translated in a number of ways. It just seems to me to be wrong. The wrong translation or the wrong rendering of that into, into the, English? The wrong rendering. Yeah. B, B, in this case, should not be in man. Yeah. It's, it should be, right, it should be on among, or Among, upon. Right. Yeah. I, I'm, right. Okay. Uh, the B might make more sense with Rashi's rendering of what Hakinam means. So it's almost like you have to choose which one you're going to go. You're going to choose to be governed by what you think B should mean in this verse, or you're going to choose to be governed by what you think Hakinam means and then make the match. Dan? So I think you need to create an English word uh, as, as opposed to, be, because there isn't any good way to express it in English. They were lysified. They were lysified, a lysification. <laughs> yes, exactly. Sometimes, sometimes that actually does help, right? Uh, Leonard? The microphone has arrived. <laughs> Uh, according to my dictionary, the word is actually kinam. The ha is an article, and it's a collective noun meaning vermin or lices. A single vermin noun? Excuse me? Like, like it's singular? It's singular, but it's a collective noun. Right. Um, let's see what Rashi says. Uh, actually, look at the uncleus for a second um, before we look at Rashi. So... Um, I think everyone who has a text has uncle list, or do I put, pull that up? Not everyone does. Let me pull that up. Um, all right, uncle list. Well, we are learning that however beautiful it is out here, the Wi-Fi is not exactly as strong out here, although it's allowing, it's allowing the, uh, the video, but it's not allowing me to load pages as well. Okay, so I'm going to bring the uncle list on the, on the, on the uh, screen. So you have it side by side on the screen. Avadu chain. They did thus. Va'arem Aaron yat yaday. Aaron lifted the word laharim, like from Camp Rama. He lifted uh, his hand. Bechutre his stick. Umacha yat afra. He smut. He smote the dust. The ar of the land. Vahavat kalmata ba'anashka. There was a kalmata. We'll we'll deal with that in a second. Um, upon people, anasha uvavira and animals. Uh, and so he turns the word into this word kamata. Um, and there was a kamata on the entire land. What's interesting about Uncle is even before we define kamata is that he basically reads hakinam in the first half of the verse and kinim in the second half of the verse of the same thing. 
right? For us, it was like, we know what kinim are in the second half of the verse. That's the plural of lice. What we don't know is what hakinam means, right? Uncleus says, yeah, it means the same thing. They're both kamata. And if you look at, um, oops, not that. Where's that? Hold on, hold on. Uh, where is, I just lost everything. Where's my Zoom? Okay, let me pull up the, the, the jastro on uh, the word kamata. So if you look up jastro with the word kamata with a kuf, it says, look at it under the word, under a kaf. Sometimes the kaf and the kuf are interchangeable. And where's kamata? Okay, here. So it's a collective noun, Leonard, a dialectic adaptation of the Hebrew kinam. So somehow the word kinam, which itself is from kina, which means life, got transmuted into Aramaic to kalam. Um, the nun became a lamid, and then the kaf became a kuf. So kalmata is actually the word kinim. Uh, etymologically, just went through a metamorphosis. So it's not even as, a, as much of a translation into Aramaic rather than a rendering of what the word became. And it means a nesting, a nesting of vermin. Okay, so let's look at the Rashi. And then, Joanna, do you want to speak before the Rashi or, or, or after? Just a thought on the word kinam. As we're saying that word, I'm thinking about yom velayel and the difference between that and yomam velayla. And I can't fully explain grammatically why the yom would get the final mem as a suffix and lila gets a hey. But I was taught once that it's the difference between saying day and night and daytime and nighttime. Hmm. So if your mom is daytime, maybe kinam is kinim time. Yeah. The, the, again, the phenomenon of the kinim rather than the specific noun referring to the animals. Uh, Stevie, and then we'll look at Rashi. We've already basically done Rashi out loud, but we'll look at him inside in a second. Oh, he needs a microphone. They need to ask for 10 microphones next time. Yeah, just two points, which some of which I said vocally, but not in the mic, um, that the, the bet, we also have at the beginning of the verse, the, uh, right, beyado, or mate uh, beyadehu, right? I don't have the verse in front of me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's clear that it's, uh, right, it, it's, it's like, it's the hand with the staff, right? So it like the bet seems to be backwards. You would expect it to be the other way. Um, and uh, so, so the bet is clearly doesn't have to mean inside, but rather could be with and stuff like Larry said. But then also about these collective nouns we had earlier, right, Svardea, right, which led to this very, you know, playful midrash in, uh, in Rashi that Rashi uh, included about, right, there being just one giant frog. Um, but that, like, I, I think that to render this verse, all, like, all these nouns seem like large collective nouns in the I, I would I would say something like, you know, vermin or lice kind was amongst humankind and animal kind. Yeah, right. Good. Or lysification, right? Or frogification, right? That sort of sort of is yeah. what was happening in that verse. Um, and uh, and I think that's I think that's a good association. And Rashi, as we're about to read, uses the same he- French word here to de- that he used in the frogs. A, a, a two play, uh, one play ago. So let's actually read the Rashi. Um, and it's a very short Rashi, but we've already dealt with most of the material. Alan? <laughs> God, how much Torah we've not studied because of passing the mics. If you add, a, add, add that up in a year, it's terrifying. Okay. Um, and uh, the lice infestation was Harchisha. Um, and then uh, the translation here says that the word hakina means the creeping mass of lice, and it's pudier uh, beloazit uh, pudulier in Old French. Right. So basically, Rashi says, reader, you wonder what hakina means. He turns it into Hebrew word that refers again to the phenomenon of the lice, not the actual bugs. He says, the word hakinam means rechisha, a swarming, a and a, a, a creeping mass of them, as the word pedolire, in, in old French. We looked at that one when, when he referenced, we looked at that one when we, when, um, 
Rashi was talking about the frog. Let me share this with you. Um, in the Otsarlo is a Rashi. Come on, computer. Which word? Rechisha. Swarming, creeping. Hey, microphone. If you're objecting, object, object to everyone to hear you. No, Rechisha is clearly swarming. Right. And that's also, I think, even the modern term of swarming. So gnats and lice and mosquitoes, they swarm, mm. right? Things that creep are on, are on the ground. This was a phenomenon that was in the air. Yeah. I was thinking a, swarm, a swarming of creepy crawlies, but I think the word creep must have been whatever book that uh, Alan was reading right, from. Right, that's why I was asking yeah. where it came from, because I think that's just wrong. Right. Look at the screen for a second, and then we'll, I see uh, Rachel's hand, and Sue's hand, Rachel's hand, Barry's hand. Um, so here we are. Uh, chapter 8 of Shemot, verse 13. Again, we have this word pedoliel, which apparently in French, in French, in old French, is kfutsat kinim, a swarm of lice, right? And Rashi brought that to us earlier, um, right? That, that, that was entry 3078, and entry 3075 was the same thing, because Rashi brings up our verse as he's talking about, as Stevie said, the odd structure of vata'al hatsfardea, the frog grows, right? One way is reading it is there was one giant frog, the other one was the frogging, right? The grand swarming of frogs arose, okay? Uh, okay, Sue, Rachel, Barry. Well, I'm sure I'm not the only one who thinks Kalmata sounds like calamity a lot. And so... Also an olive. Uh, <laughs> also an olive. Okay. Um, it, and it says under, under calamity, Google says, Google yeah. says. Oh, that, the etymology of the word calamity? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Latin and Old French. Um, so not helpful. Well, not helpful in terms of, but unless, unless, well, unless we think that maybe that didn't go far enough, <laughs> right. you know, I mean, Google doesn't know it all. So it might, it might be part of it. Uh, Rachel and then Barry. Okay. Um, the biology perspective, I don't know how accurate the connection between uh, kinam or kinim, the insect, and our modern label for the particular species of insect that is lice. Lice jump, they do not fly. Mm. That's why there's all this concern when one kid in a classroom gets lice in their hair, um, that it's going to be next. It, it's <laughs> since since the lice jump, it's going to be then Norm, then Joel, then Larry. Very linear, okay. But but the 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 point I'm making is if we're talking about the modern insect that we call lice, they don't swarm the way bees swarm, and they don't swarm the way mosquitoes swarm. They will colonize one person or one animal that has hair, because their preferred environment is mammal hair, and then they'll jump to others. Um, well, thank you for that, Rachel. While we're exploring calamity, sorry, maybe that's why tra some translations have as as gnats as opposed to lice, uh -huh. because gnats, in fact, swarm. do swarm. Interesting. Calamitas yes. yes. um, in Latin originally meant several things, including maybe blight or crop failure. Right or mill or uh, or or loss or damage. So may maybe maybe we know more than than Google does about where the word calamity comes from. Good, uh, Barry. 
by now this is a little bit redundant and uh, Rachel that's very illuminating it's kind of direction I was going uh, a swarm is not a, a a random movement of billions and millions of things it's, it's not random it's it's an it's an organized flow you wonder whether there's a leader and they all follow the leader or whether there's some shared intelligence it goes right it all goes right it goes left it all goes left it's it's, it's an intelligent kind of a movement so yeah it's not in, in, independent hopping things right. um but it's it's an intelligent movement and, like the, and, the murmurations of those uh what are those birds that murmurate swallows no so in 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 this case when the, the lice are coming there's like a, a a creation of intelligent movements throughout the land yeah and let's also remember that our playfulness with what words mean now may or may not be what was intended with the medieval hebrew word rechisha or the biblical word hakinam, it might just have meant lots of lice, right? Like we, we hear the English word swarm and we cannot not think of what we know from science is what swarm means versus other um, synonyms, but rechisha might just have meant lots of lice. Uh, Barbara, and then we'll read the next verse. Well, I, I agree with Rachel that they, that they jump, but in the, the, the wording in, in the Torah is that all the dust of the earth um, changed to uh, to rot to lice or to vermin, whichever, and so dust gets kicked up as you walk. So it's possible that the dust could have been kicked up by, you know, I mean, in the old days you had horses, you had right. wagons, you had people tramping in dust, and it was dust, and it it kicks up into the air. So every time you would do so, like another rechisha, a mini rechisha of lice would just appear. Good. Joanna? Exactly. It fascinates me the time when the times when the Torah moves at such a rapid pace that we, you know, crave more information. And the times when the Torah seems to be, you know, being overly deliberate, overly repetitive. You know, this is one of those times we often have it. Is it not enough to say vaya asuchain? Like we know what the instruction was. Hmm. So vaya asuchain, they did it. And then, you know, going further into the verse, once we read two things about that. One, do we then need the Bahol Eretz Mitzrayim? Like the whole land. Did we think it was other lands too? Like, do we need to specify here? And the phrase seems misplaced. Wouldn't that happen before the people are in, in, in infested, right? Like, doesn't the whole land need to be swarming with these lice? And then the people, you know, and then it, you know, bubbles up to the people and infests them. So I don't know. There's a lot of perplexing things to me about the phrasing of this verse. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. We've been focusing on the one word hakinam and not the larger structure of the verse. I even think there's a missing preposition in the second half of the verse, kol afar haaretz hayakinim, right? Like if it was hayalichinim, it would have been that all of the dust of the earth became lice. But it's almost hard to say in English, all of the dust of the earth was lice. Well, what does it mean that it was? That it, it became, it turned into, it was experienced as, and it's all a, a certain redundancy after we have vatihi hakinam. If there's, if there, if hakinam means an overwhelming swarm of lice, then obviously everywhere you looked where there had been dust, there is now lice. So we are focusing on hakinam, but the whole verse itself is, is, is structured in an interesting way that says darsheni. Yeah. Um, Larry. Yeah. I was struck by what jo Johanna said, because I was also, I'm reading two different translations and they talk about Haaretz as if it's the earth, meaning the entire world, but it's clearly not. So, but it was used Haaretz and not Adamah, mm. not just from the, the ground. Mm. But I thought that the limitation of um, Kola Eretz Mitzrayim meant that this only took place in Mitzrayim and perhaps didn't even take place where the in Goshen. In Goshen. Yeah. So it, exclude, it would exclude that. that yeah. It is interesting to wonder what the phrase kol hafar haaretz means in context. It clearly doesn't mean all of the dirt on the planet, right? The, the Torah doesn't really have even a concept of planet, right? It has a concept of right, of right here. So it's almost as if like the dust of the earth means the ground, right? And so I take, take this figuratively, 
which is, and not, not, not literally, but it was as if all the dust yeah. had turned into nice. these swarming things, whatever they are. Reminding, as I, as I mentioned to Joel, and you'll remember, the famous baseball games, I think there have been more than one, where the Nats invaded. The, mid, the midges. Were they midges? Yeah. One was in Cleveland, I know. Killed Jabba Chamberlain's career. You're, you're going to upset yeah. me and Ilan. We're, we're going to be in a bad mood for two days. <laughs> we knew exactly what game we were doing. I remember, where, I remember where I was sitting in my house during the game, yelling at the, at the umpires to stop the game. Stupid Cleveland Okay, sorry. What were you saying? <laughs> oh, just as I recall, it was Cleveland. Do you remember exactly it was? Uh, I remember what inning it was. Okay. Um, let's read Stevie. <laughs> I think a lot of these plagues have the notion that you can't get away from them, mm. right? That, like, the, the water turning the blood, it, like, lists all the locations, and the frogs, it lists all the locations. I think that's what it's getting at, that, that there was – like the the first experience of the plague is that the like there's lice on the people and on the things, and then it's also kolafar aret is that is like the you know like another level of experience that like everywhere you go you're not getting away from it. Nice, a, a, a local comprehensiveness, right? The, the good. The, the first part of the verse is people experience lice, and the second half. There was no place where there wasn't lice. Great. I like, I like that resolution. Okay. Verse 14. Uh, this is a pattern we're used to. God tells Moses or Aaron to do something rotten to the Egyptians, and the brilliant Khartoum say, hey, let's see if we can do that too, right? Um, well, let's, let's see if we can attempt to. Whom have we not uh, heard from? A lot of people have spoken today. Rebecca, you want to read verse 14? Rebecca's been doing camera work. Vaya'asu chen ha the key word that's going to be important for the translation is not a complicated Hebrew word. It's just a complicated Hebrew word to figure out what it means here, and that's the word lehotzi. Okay? That's what just going to kind of lead the witness a little bit. Go ahead. Okay. Um, uh, and thus did the magicians with their secret arts right. to bring forth the lice. Ah, you said bring forth. Tell me why you said bring forth. That's fascinating. Because that's the suggested translation in my book. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, good. So hamotzi lecha means to like draw something out. Lahotzi can also mean to get rid of, to remove, right? So mm. it's written in such a way that we want to say, well, of course, what the first thing that the Khartoumim would have tried to do would be to get rid of them. But we have a sense of Lohotzi is to actually bring into creation, right? That's, that's what the Bracha Hamotzi means. So Rashi will deal with that, but I want to point it out that it's an ambiguous, at least potentially ambiguous, how to render Lohotzi. Go ahead. Uh, and they could not. Okay. Uh, and the lice were on man and on beast. Now, since the verse ends with... Something like, therefore, the lice were, I'll add, still on man and beast. It makes you think that the attempt early in the verse was what? To get rid of, right? right? They, they, tried to, um, okay, they tried to get rid of them. They couldn't. That's why they're still there. But if they tried to get rid of them, then the vaya'asuchain is hard to understand. Because the vaya'asuchain says they tried to do the same thing. So we, we, we've got like 180-degree turns several times in the verse. They tried to do the same thing. Ah, that suggests that they were trying to bring more of them. To remove them? Must be that. But they weren't able to. So if they weren't able to remove them, it must be that they were still there. It's hard to know how to put all those things together. Larry, you're chomping at the bit. Yeah, because I want to go, I want to think about this pattern of Moses and Aaron do something magical, and then the soothsayers, the wizards, whatever they were, do they do the same thing? I mean, I can see it if it was like a magic, you know, show off and. David Copperfield gets up there and makes the plane disappear, and then, then Adam Clickfield gets up there and he makes a bit different plane disappear. But if David Copperfield goes out there and he puts a bullet through somebody's head that you don't want to die, then your magicians don't do the same thing. Right. So why were the Egyptian magicians at all trying to imitate pulling the rabbit out of the hat? They all along should have been trying to reverse it. Right. We discussed this 
already several times, and, and it's, it's worth returning to, it's almost as if the, the Torah is presenting Pharaoh and his court not only as powerless, but dumb, right? And, and try, trying to flex their muscles in a way that would actually um, exacerbate the problem upon them, right? Um, we're, we will not get to it this week, but later on, probably next week, we'll get to a Rashi that helps us understand that there are streams in the rabbinic tradition that read into the biblical tradition, the idea that their magicians, courtiers are not as powerful as God, but they had some power. They, they could do some amazing things. It was limited. And it's interesting in a text that's really a revolution against idolatry and the notion that there's any other God but ours, there are hints that suggest, well, well, maybe they did have some supernatural power. Not, not, as, not as many as gods, not, not as much as gods. But they, and, 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 they, and they did it almost like foolishly, but they had some power to do things that seemed to be only things that gods could do. Um, well, a lot of hands. Uh, Rick, we haven't heard from you yet today, so start with Rick, Barbara, Joanna, Sue, Norm, and then class will be over. Rick. Hi. Um, yeah, I, I just, um, since at one point you had, you had pulled out and, and you looked at the structure of all the verses. Um, the Vatahi Hakinam, it's got the same trope in 13 as in 14. And then uh, the Ba'adam Uvabahema is kind of the same structure. Um, but um, I- I'm, looking at, uh, I'm looking at the story and um, the lice don't go away. Hmm. And I never noticed that before. So... I needed to say that um, they don't go away, <laughs> which is really weird. The, uh, verse 16, you go right into the next, uh, the Arov. Right. So Not, what happens to the Kinim? Right. <laughs> I thought it, I had to bring it up. The Sorry. Frogs, the frogs didn't disappear either. They just got heaped up and became smelly. Right. So yeah, yeah, but then eventually and, they and, got rid and, of the frogs. They moved the heaps. But here it, there's nothing. Yeah, well, so, it doesn't say that they move the heaps. We just can assume it, right? So some of these plagues like end and 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 disappear, and some of them, it's just we're on to the next plague. I don't even remember if that was dealt with at all in either of the two major uh, ten plagues movies. Does it? Do we do we see the stoppage of the plague or just the next scene where the next plague begins? I'm not sure. Uh, Barbara, Joanna, Sue. What, what's the root on Vatahi? What's the three letter root? Haya. It's the verb to be, so it's uh, it's oh, it it's it's a complicated mm-hmm. structure. It's um it uh, it's avav ha'ipuch, so it looks like a, a future tense verb, but it's actually a past tense verb, and it really it just means and and what it was. And yeah, yeah. Uh, Joanna. Um, so an example from my teaching life, and then I'll connect it to this passage. Um, as a teacher who uses a whiteboard every once in a while, you know, you have a bunch of markers on your desk and you grab the wrong one. You should use a dry erase marker on a whiteboard. And every once in a while, I grab a Sharpie Mm. and then you can't erase the Sharpie, except if you know a trick, go over the Sharpie with dry erase marker. And now you'll be able to erase both the dry erase and the Sharpie. So to the point of that, these magicians had some, but not all power as God did, they kind of knew that they couldn't get rid of God's lice. But they thought that maybe if on their own, they brought about a similar creature and then got rid of it, they could kind of confound the whole thing and get rid of everything. Very nice. They're, they're sort of somewhat powerful and hapless and pitiful at the same time, right? Uh, Sue? Um, well, I was just thinking that maybe that's maybe that's the whole point that God's power, it's God's power and that the Hartumim power is nonsensical. Yeah. And, and you know, that might be, that might be it. That's why God is God and the Hartumim are kind of bumbling idiots. Right. It's not anyway. They're empowered, but they're befuddled. Yeah. Uh, were there more hands? Oh, Norm, then Steve. Um, I'm going to rise in defense of the Hartamim. Okay, Um, defend them more into the mic. The rabbis later teach us that we are not supposed to pay attention and go to sorcerers and magicians, even if what they do works. Right. And the implication is that 
there are people who can do things that we don't understand. Um, we might call them physicians in some cases. We might call <laughs> them illusionists in some cases. Um, I often enjoy magic shows, sometimes can sort of figure out what's going on in a trick and sometimes can't. But the point is, even if they have some powers, we're not supposed to go to them. Even if these magicians had real powers, obviously they won't compare with the Holy One, um, but we're not supposed to rely on them regardless. But the fact that we're not supposed to rely on them, even if what they do works, implies that sometimes what they do works. Yeah, good norm. Stevie? Exactly. <laughs> Just to add to what Rick said, my high school teacher uh, thought, I didn't check the verses yet, but that lice doesn't end and boils doesn't end, and that he interpreted darkness as, because it says they couldn't move for three days as like they couldn't even scratch themselves um, while they were still suffering from oils and from lice. Mm. Uh, so if you want to, if you want to embellish these stories, you know, there's, there's some food for thought. <laughs> Rosemary. Uh, in defense of the uh, magicians, I think um, if we know that Moses was in the court, Egyptian, he had learned to do probably from magicians certain things. So uh, I think they were in conflict. They don't know God. So sometimes they think maybe Moses is doing it. It's his knowledge. They had to try their own knowledge nice. to reverse Moses. Still, they come to learn really there was a God. That's a great comment, which will be even more p powerful as soon as we get to verse um, verse 15. So remember what Rosemary said. We get the next week. Just read, who is reading for Rebecca? Read one word of Rashi. We'll come back next week. We've been discussing what does the Lahotzi mean? Did it mean to to um, to remove them or to mean to actually bring them about? He says Lahotzi at Hakini means? Uh, Livrotam. Livrotam. What's the root of Livrotam? Barak. Barak, to create, right? So Rashi's making it very clear that even though the end of the verse is going to end with they weren't able to and... Um, and um, still there were uh, lice, which suggests the thing they were trying to do was to remove them. Uh, she says, no, lahotzi means to live row. They, they were trying in their own weird way to create, we'll get to that next week, uh, in, their own, in their own way. They were intended to tr try to create more, and they couldn't. And then somehow the, the status at the end of the verse is, therefore, there were the same amount of lice there had been before. No, no new courtier created rice, uh, lice. Um, Lovely to be studying with you in the sukkah. See you next week. Moadim l'simcha, to which the response is? Bye, everybody. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.